foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. This is Katie B, and you are about to listen to an early episode of my podcast. Now the show is called The Move Your DNA Podcast, and you can find all episode transcripts and the show notes to this episode at nutritiousmovement.com slash podcast. Enjoy. Hi, this is Katie Bowman, and it is time for the Katie Says Movement Mailbag. This is a new segment where we are going to be answering your questions. We get so, how many questions do you think we get, Danny? We have hundreds in queue right now. Okay. So we thought, because we, we enjoy the life pace that comes with only doing two shows. <laughs> We're lazy. <laughs> We're essentially lazy people. And doing four shows a month seems like a lot. But two shows that we normally do and adding this one mailbag because we could never get to all of the questions in the show. So we're just going to start doing these little mini shows. Perfect for taking, what, a mile walk, you think? Maybe a mile and a half? Oh, yeah. Sounds good. 15. Depending on your pace. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. Like, it's just, a, it's just a quickie. They're quickie shows. If you're listening to this as your first ever Katie Says podcast, know that these are the quickie mailbag shows and that our full episodes of Katie Says kind of go much more in depth of a single topic, wouldn't you say? I do. Okay. I, I think you're right. And I also, what we're going to always try and do is include in the show notes of these little mailbag shows, links to other things where you can get more in-depth explanations if we have it out there. These just aren't going to be the big, super deep answers just for a matter of time. All right. So this is a shorty. Put on your shoes or not and head out walking. Okay. And what do we got? What do we got? Okay. We do get so many thought-provoking questions. And I just decided to do this randomly. Oh, and I don't know what these questions are. Just, I think that's kind of be fun. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't. <laughs> and if you're listening, just know that eventually we'll probably get to your question. But it's just, this is just a random draw. Let's go. The question number one. This is from Brian L. And he says, Hi, Katie and Danny. I love your podcast. And since I started listening to it a few months ago, I started walking barefoot more and even invested in a pair of zero drop shoes. Yay, Brian. I'm taking the transition slowly, but I do have a question about my, in quotes, short leg. About nine years ago, I went to a chiropractor for back pain. 
I would notice back pain, especially while standing for long periods of time. I'm a teacher, so I need to do this most of the day. After measuring both of my legs, he said that my right leg was shorter. He gave me a cork heel lift, seven millimeters. This seemed to help a bit. I had another sports therapist re-measure both my legs several years later, and he said it was probably a good thing to have the heel lift. So my question, is walking and running barefoot good for me since there seems to be a slight difference in the length of my legs? And should I wear a heel lift in one of my zero-drop shoes? I've been doing this for years with my other shoes and sneakers. Thanks so much. Love the podcast. Brian, short leg. (laughs) Um, I actually get this question quite a bit. So I guess there's two questions here. The the easiest question is, if there was, you know, a robot, a body robot, and it had been built with one leg shorter than the other, then a lot of the rationale for minimal shoes and that it's like super beneficial doesn't quite hold up because, I don't know, see, like minimal means different characteristics. Right now we're talking about a heel. Right now Mm -hmm. we're talking about a heel. A heel-free shoe that if you put them on sets because your legs are one leg is shorter than the other, you know, one side of your pelvis lower than the other. Then if you're standing around all of the time, I don't know if it's the most beneficial thing for you. That all being said, all of the other components, wide, flexible, are the problem being that shoes come in a set. So what happens, what happens when you have one side of the body that needs one thing and one side of the body that needs the other thing. So I guess that the easy answer is, you know, put your insert into your minimal shoe. I don't see why there's any reason why you can't put something underneath your heel, giving you a little bit of a rise because you're still going to benefit from all of the other minimal characteristics of the shoe that you're wearing. So you still get more foot mobility. You know, all of the joints can articulate better. Also transitioning exercises. Okay, well, I'll put that that short answer to the side. The other answer is about leg length discrepancy. You can have a leg length discrepancy. Maybe you had an epiphyseal, which is like a growth plate injury as a little kid, and it didn't grow at the same rate as the other leg. So there are those for sure. But a lot of times measuring leg length is like measuring, I think think they would call it like a functional leg length, where, you know, the length of your legs from the foot to wherever you're measuring it from, right? So all measurements are different. There is not like a standard of leg measure besides looking at them in a cadaver, you know, where you can cut them off and and measure the lengths of the Mm -hmm. bones. That's not what people are doing. They're looking at the bones with the, the skin and the muscle. And as you rotate your bones, whether it's the lower leg or the upper leg, you might find that the leg, the length of your leg can change based on the orientation of the parts. So your alignment can change length within a minute. You know, if you stand and you're rotating. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do yeah. you know how they do that? How do they measure? Is it standing? Is it lying down with a CT scan? Or what is it? Yes, there's not There's not a standard that everyone uses. That's a problem oh, with okay. these measures. Is they're not as objective as they seem because there's every clinician is using a different method. And then how practices the clinician at doing it and has the has the clinician been measured for their reliability at you know a lot of times what happens is like if you have a you know an image of a bone you can just put a measuring tape on it and go okay here's a two-dimensional picture I can make a measure but you're not really doing that when you're looking you know at someone and as they stand you know so it's just Mm -hmm. it's just it's kind of 
it's fraught with potential error. The only reason I'm bringing that up is when people say things about the state of their body, I always just like to remind them like a lot of that's malleable. So maybe you do have a functional meaning the way that you use your body, your leg length is different, but maybe that's because you're rotated in the hip a little bit more on one side. So your arch is like flatter on one side than the other. And that's what's giving you the discrepancy. In that case, putting a lift underneath it is really just bolstering that mal-rotated, poorly rotated leg. And if you're doing things that I recommend other than just switching your shoes, then you would want to spend some time not in a bolstered position. So it's it's kind of a little bit of if everything were just, if like all you were doing was changing your shoes and you wanted to use your feet more and you weren't working on any other part, then you can put a lift in a minimal shoe. If you want to be working towards something like decreasing that lift need by improving the length of that leg, if it is indeed functional, then that's also potentially on the menu for you. And then there are those structural anomalies you know, where something is shorter. But usually people, every time they'll say, that's what I have, and I'll be like, well, what? where's your test for it? They don't actually have it. They're just like, no, I'm, I have mm-hmm. the I have the one that's not changeable. But they don't actually have any information that states that. It's just so much easier, I think, yeah, to be like, I anecdotal. have that. Yeah, okay. Cool. All right, you ready for the next one? Yes. Okay, this one is from Jenna A., Hi, Katie. This is Jenna Anderson. I live here in Utah, and I noticed you don't have any teachers out here. Um, my question was, I have um, divectus recti and uh, abdominal hernia, and I don't have any back pain or any other problems. Um, I'm just wondering how I can get proper posture. I was told I shouldn't do planks and run, but I love running and I love doing yoga, and I don't want to stop doing these things. So... If you could help me out, I know your book doesn't come out until February. If there's any advice you can give me, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Well, we do have teachers in Utah. Yay! I know! Yay! We do like, have teachers. Really great teachers. Yay! Yes, so go to Nutritious Movement and find a teacher, and you will find some really great teachers there in Utah. So the book is out now. That's the that's the beauty of waiting so long before we can come to a mailbag is that it tends that the product that you've been waiting so long for is out. So that book is out. You win, Jenna. You win. Right. We all win all of the time. Yes. Regarding that question, you know, avoiding doing particular exercises because they make a situation worse is I think it's just kind of like a short term like I don't have anything else to tell you what to do to fix it. All I can tell you is what to to not do if you don't want to make it worse. That was a lot of negatives. I feel like here's what to right. here's what to do to fix it and don't do this. Can I clarify something? I wasn't sure I understood what she said. She said she had divectus recti. Did is that something different or did she mean diastasis recti? I am assuming she means diastasis recti. Okay. Okay. And then she said she had an abdominal hernia. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Wasn't sure. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, if we're wrong, then we are so wrong and then don't listen to anything else that we're saying. But everyone else who has diastasis recti and has been told not to do particular things, in some cases, it's good to lay off these types of movements that you're doing. But again, it's not always the movement. Sometimes it's the way you're doing it. So you might be doing yoga, you might be doing running, but there's a particular way in which you're doing it that has led to this outcome. And so... Everyone, I think, would like to continue doing 
everything that they did before they got the thing that doing the thing that they did before created. Wow. But change is really hard in that space Mm -hmm. because you don't actually want to change. You just don't want the symptom of your behavior painful and challenging. However, like I said, running is a category. Yoga is a category. It could be that the way you were executing these things were just with a particular form that was leading to your outcome. Right now, it doesn't seem like you're having very many symptoms of a diastasis recti that other, like a lot of people like, I have sacral pain. I have digestion issues. I'm like completely unstable. It sounds like you're okay. So maybe other people's recommendations of what you're not doing is more for that the diagnosis doesn't get worse, like that the diastasis recti doesn't continue to spread open. But, you know, it's everyone, it's their life. It's your life. You get to pick what you want to be doing. But read through diastasis recti, which the book, not, not, don't try to peek through and read through your own diastasis recti. No, it's that's contraindicated. Yes. That's totally contraindicated. Read through the book to see if you get the gist. Because again, having particular exercises that you like, modes of exercise, like I like to dance or I like to run or I like to sprint or I like to rock climb. A lot of times when you have an ailment, like a musculoskeletal ailment, it has more to do with how you move mm-hmm. all day long. It's like the full diet of movement, not the fact Word. that you like dessert every night. You know, like a lot of people can eat dessert every night just fine. But it's about the quality of the dessert. It's about all the other foods that they're eating. And so it's just about that. I, I don't think any one of us has to give up the things that we like as long as we understand the context. And then perhaps the thing that you like will change once mm-hmm. you experience other things. So True that. That was good. Okay. This next one is from Margot M. Hi, Kathy. My name is Margot Murray. The question I have is I'm in a wheelchair with um, L4 and L5 been disintegrated basically by an infection. But I've been doing the Kegels, but I was reading your thing on the Kegels and doing squats. So how can you accomplish a squat when you're in a wheelchair? (laughs) Such a good question. Well, I don't know much about... I'm going to assume that if you're doing squats already... Didn't she say she was already doing squats? I think her question was... How can I do them? And I don't know what extent she's in the wheelchair. She said, I'm in a wheelchair, but we don't know if it's. Well, that's a thing. So I'm going to assume I'm going to assume that she can get out uh, down the wheelchair, that it, that being in the wheelchair is mostly about not having the endurance to support your body for a long period of time outside of it. So that's the perspective from which I'm answering. If I'm wrong, I apologize, Margo. The Maui squat, the squat that's on the new pelvic floor DVD is a squat that is just from the chair level or higher. Because really, most people can't do that full, you know, hunter-gatherer squat, you know, the the full range of motion, not with any weights or any weight rack or anything, just getting all the way down to go to the bathroom and coming back up, you know, that type of squat. Most people aren't really able to do it without lots of additional support at first. And so there is a video, a YouTube video called Maui Squat. And then on the new pelvic floor DVD, there's just getting up and down out of a chair. So I assume that she's getting up and down out of her wheelchair. So that would be a good time to practice changing your form of how you do it. Like if you normally use your arms a lot to get get up out of the chair, right, where you're pushing down with your arms, one way 
to use the lower part of your body more is to try to come up without using your arms or using your arms less, shifting your weight back so that you're using your heels, pressing in with your heels as opposed to letting your weight come forward on your toes and kind of using more of your quads. Like the purpose of the squat is to really get you to lift and lower yourself using more glute, hamstring, like the backside of your legs and hips more so than the front. If you are like, there's no way for everyone out there, wheelchair or just who get up and down out of a chair every day. If you're not really able to get up out of a chair, I use a vertical shin as the marker, meaning that your knee and your ankle are stacked vertically. So as you're coming up and going down, trying to maintain that vertical shin is a really good independent, like inexpensive biofeedback Mm -hmm. tool to see which muscles you're using. If you can keep the shin vertical, then you know you're in this phase where you're driving more from the back of your body as your knees move forward and go beyond their toes then you're using more of the muscles on the front of the thigh and it's not you don't it's not like you're using solely one or the other it's like the blend you're just trying to get away from being so heavily dominant on the front of the body which is way more stronger in most of us than the backside. if you're like i can't get up out of my chair keeping this vertical shin then what you're going to do is you're going to bolster so you're going to take a blanket or a couple pillows and you'll stack them underneath your hips so that your hips sit higher than the altitude of the chair seat. So you can use blankets. I mean, sometimes they'll give people maybe 12 inches of blanket. So they're not they're not even really it's kind of like the toilet seats that they have for elderly people who aren't able to sit down where you almost just kind of lean back and like the toilet seats right there. Oh yeah, they're real raised, yeah. Yeah, they're raised like that because they're decreasing the distance you have to travel supporting yourself with your knees, the muscles around your knees and your hips. So you have to create that situation. You're trying to create the angle of your knees and hips from which you can rise and lower using the backside of your body. And it might be, hey, I can travel four inches, but that's okay because the movement is being created by the muscles that you're trying to train for kind of better sacral stability and a a (laughs) well-rounded, if you will, pelvic floor strength like it's it's coming at you from it's not just the strength of the the muscle between the two bones like the whole system is being strengthened from that so that would be my my recommendation for Margot if she's listening to go okay I, I can do these squats it's not about the full range of motion it's about you accomplishing a range of motion that you can control with your backside cool that's awesome all right and that wraps it up thanks for listening and thank you all for submitting your questions we'll get to them as often as we can in these mailbag podcasts, you never know when you're going to pop up. It's going to be like romper room. So keep listening, keep asking, keep reading, going to the website and watching as much as you can. A lot of times, you know, the information's right there for you at nutritiousmovement.com. There are so many resources there. Search box. Just go to the search box. Pretty effective. Type in the word and you are going to be blown away mm-hmm. by what's already there for you. Anyway. Thanks, everyone, for great questions. Keep them coming, and I'll see you next time. Woohoo! We hope you find the general information on biomechanics, movement, and alignment informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and shouldn't be used as such. 